Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. In the last episode, I told you that I went to the theater or had a theatrical experience when I went to see the play March at the LA LGBT Center, which was actually done in the parking garage and we all watched it from our cars. So today I have two of the creative forces behind that show on the podcast, John Imperato and John Rivera. Uh, John Rivera is the director of the show March, and John Imperato is the producer. And so I got to talk to both of them about how they put this theatrical show together in the middle of a pandemic. And it was really fun to hear from them. Very inspiring. So that's the interview. Before I get to that, I want to promote uh, the other podcast that I write for. It's called Imagined Life. It's a Wondery podcast, and I wrote the season premiere episode, which is called The Phoenix. Uh, It came out a couple of weeks ago, so you might want to check that out. I have a few more episodes coming up that haven't dropped yet, but I will keep you posted on that. Also, virtual game nights, you don't know my life. The holidays are coming up. Things are getting colder. People are kind of hunkering down a bit more. If you want to do something fun with the people you love that doesn't feel Zoomy, even though it is Zoomy, um, hit me up. You can go to youdon'tknowmylife.com. I would love to host you and help you connect with your people. All right, that's it. Here is the interview with John Lawrence Rivera and John Imperato from the show March. Joining me now via Zoom, we've got two Johns, John Rivera, John Imperato. They are the director and producer of the new show, March, which is a theatrical experience showing at the LA LGBT Center. I saw it the other night. It was so cool and different and inspiring, and I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Do yeah. me a favor right out of the gate. Will you say my name is John whatever and and so we can get the voices different for people that are listening? So John Rivera. Hi, I'm uh, John Lawrence Rivera. I am the uh, director of March. And you sound just like that. And how about you, John Imperato? <laughs> I am John Imperato. I'm the artistic director of the Lily Tomlin Jane Wagner Cultural Arts Center for the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Longest title in the world. And you guys are doing something very extraordinary in the time of COVID. You're making theater. Yeah. How yeah. did you live, live theater? Live. And you just survived your first weekend. How did how do you feel like it went? I think it went very well. I'm I'm, I'm so happy that we have uh, audiences because we've been spending, you know, about five weeks with just with just us rehearsing it. So it was really great to to see and hear uh, audience responses to to the play, which is very exciting. So, yeah, yeah, John, how do you feel? Our our first three shows were sold out. Our first three of the four shows were sold out. And uh, it was exciting for us, too, because, you know, we're kind of like pioneers. We did our research, and nobody in the United States of America is doing a live original piece of theater. Nobody. Yeah, but nothing that's live in an original piece of theater with a cast of 10 and an enormous creative crew. And I mean, it's got costumes and lights and sound and music and fight calls and, and choreography. I mean, it's a full, full production. And a musical number, which I was very surprised to see. <laughs> it is exactly. done yeah. in the parking garage. You watch it from your cars. Um, but like you said, it has all of the thrill of live theater. They're doing it in front of you. There's a story. There's mics, there's sounds, there's cues, all of that stuff. How did the idea to do this come about? What made you crazy enough to think, we can do theater in this pandemic? So let me start and I'll have John Lawrence Rivera uh, jump in because we sort of were really in sync sync here. 
So I have a weekly staff meeting and I said to my staff that I'm so sick of Zoom. I don't like plays on Zoom. They're not live and engaging and I'm, I'm just burning out on it. What can we do that's different? And so Matt Richter, who's our lighting designer, who's lit many of John's plays, uh, a wonderful lighting designer and a great guy, came back and said, you know, they're doing live garage theater in Berlin right now. And in looking at research and underground, you know, buildings and fallout shelters and garages, people historically have done sort of spoken word or protest stuff um, during war times to not be caught, but people weren't silenced. So we went, well, we have this enormous parking garage that's empty. We just built our campus and let's do it. And so we were about to embark on this adventure and try to figure out how we were going to do it and what would be, what would be peace and all that kind of stuff. And then Matt Richter calls me and says, John, I just saw John Lawrence Rivera on Facebook saying he was going to go out today and look at garages to maybe do theater in a garage. So he called John and said, stop, don't go anywhere. Come meet me and John Imperato because we're, we're on the same trajectory. So John, tell me what, tell them, I should say, what made you get the idea? Well, uh, the same way that you feel, John uh, Imperato, about Zoom theater, um, when, when we shuttered theaters in March, I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll be back by fall and, you know, I can survive that and, you know, we can do some development work through Zoom. And then around June, they said, we won't be open until the following year and possibly even through fall of 2021. And I said, I can't, I cannot just wait until next year to do theater. So I, I was thinking about a, a theater that is safe. So I was thinking about mainly about how I can do it safely and thought, well, if I could find a parking lot where audiences can stay inside their cars and watch a show live, and have actors with masks and shields and uh, uh, and six feet apart, that it is possible to do it safely and 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 do it live. And so uh, when I was looking at some parking lots, that's when Matt Richter saw my post on Facebook and said, "Stop, come over." And literally 24 hours later, I was with with John Imperato and Matt Richter looking at their parking lot and and trying to figure out what to do in that space and. It's been a very exciting journey for all of us because there's beyond all the challenges that comes with with uh, garage theater. I mean, it is really being in community with you know with actors, with live actors, and really discussing and talking about the play and shaping it. So that part of it has really given me so much life in the last you know few weeks of directing this play. So the unsung hero of this adventure is Mark Zuckerberg for inventing Facebook. Something good came out of Facebook. Um, oh, that is correct. No I, I did say to no Richter that I said, you know, thank, thankfully there is social media that got us, you know, connected and 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 in in sync with this with this project. Um, the other surprising thing for me was I forgot how much I missed the experience of getting to know actors, watching them become a little mini family, just having this community of actors. And um, and they're a wonderful group of people who have been insanely committed. We had two weeks of mosquitoes in the theater. We had power outages We, you know, we during the heat wave. I mean, these people have been working so hard under the most insane conditions. Some of them have two masks with a mouse cup, a mouth cup. They've got, you know, lavalier mics. I mean, it, they do costume changes. They're running. 
it, you know, it's not easy. And yet these people never complained and were happy to do it. And you felt the sense of, oh my God, I'm with the theater community again, forming mini family, that's what happens. And that experience, I forgot how much that feeds my soul. I really forgot. And that was really one of the unexpected joys of this. Well, I felt a, a smaller version of the, what you're talking about, just being there as an audience member, being part of the ritual of theater and how much it feeds me before even the lights come down and it starts. Like, it's just the act of getting a program and it's just something that, oh my God, I didn't realize how much I missed this. So John Rivera, talk about the characters in the story and how that evolved. Yeah, so um, like John Imperato was saying that um, there was this idea in my head and the concept of it is basically the show that you saw. But when I spoke with, with John, I said, I have this idea, and she and he said, "Oh, can you send me the script?" I said, "There's no script. It's a devised piece." And so, literally, it's like a it's like a curator buying a piece of art that is unseen. I mean, he is literally committing to a project, not knowing what it's going to be like. I mean, I gave him a you know a a a, a, a sketch of what it might be, and here's the idea of it, but. There was no script. There was absolutely no script. And so John Imperato just blank, blankly just said, let's make it happen. I like the idea of it. Let's do it. So, and I, I've done several of these things before where I, I created a, a piece of work that was devised. So once I got the actors together, we started, we spent two weeks. Uh, I gave them prompts and they wrote material. And out of those material, I, I gave them specific prompts that I, I know I could you know, I could hopefully use whatever they're going to write. So once we had two weeks worth of writing and literally we might have, we, we must have at least over a hundred pages of writing. And I then have to distill that with my dramaturg, um, Nick Salamone to, to distill it to a play and really find like parts of those writing to, to tell the story based on the concept that I have. So it was a very um, intricate, jigsaw puzzle that we were trying to to figure out and and create so once we had the material then you know we put them in some kind of a format and then we were looking for conflicts we were looking for alliances we were looking for dramatic structures so which you know our dramaturg Nick Salamon who is a brilliant playwright was able to really help us and assist us in in shaping that even more and so you know from that you know that's what you know, that's the final project product that you that you saw in the production. I love it. So there are three main characters, primarily members of the LGBTQ community who are seemingly on the run during this crazy uh, era. And um, and they end up in this parking garage and things unfold. But are you saying that you took a lot of the dialogue and stuff from things that the actors told you about their own lives? Yeah, I mean, pretty much 90 percent of what you've heard on the in, in the play were written by the actors. That's amazing. Yeah, they were all, you know, from my prompts, you know, I would say, what makes you angry? And then they would write a whole like 10 minutes of writing. And then from from whatever they've written, I would then pick up, you know, a few, you know, few parts of it to, to make it into the, into the play. So a lot of that uh, over, you know, literally 90% of the script is is from their writing. And when you see the play, these are their personal stories. These are just, they're not writing just, things that, that they're creating just out of their head. These are actually their real stories. And they're that brave that they're bearing their souls. Those are their stories. Yeah, they, and and they know, had that feeling of being really rich and specific 
and a little offbeat and you're like oh this feels like this feels like somebody's truth and and, and it, mm -hmm. i found it very powerful in that way it was also scary and really spoke to this era that we're living in politically and socially how important was that to you that sort of sense of taking on this time that we're in well i have to say that it is very important to me but john imperato literally forced me to go even farther I mean, he, I he has a way to, of I, doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he does. You know, he's like I said. Oh, I, this is the idea of it. And then he said to me, "I want it really hard and tough, and I wanted like really, I want to confront people. I want it to be." And I was like, "Okay, yes, sir. We'll we'll make it happen." So, you know, we made we we did the the play um, to resp in response to a lot of the trans uh, women who have been killed. Uh, how people have uh, oppressed a lot of the trans uh, people. So that was that was part of my my objective with this play. I mean, if, even in the original concept of it, it was really about trans oppression and their resilience and bravery to survive all of that. Yeah, I, I've been working with the trans community now for almost thirty five years. They're my family, and um, and I see what they go through now. I see the fear they live with the cat calling, this is Trump's America, get the fuck out of here, you tranny bitch, what they experience on a daily basis. So when John said it's going to be about three trans and well, actually it's two trans women and a gender nonconforming uh, person would be the leads, I was in. And I also have, I've done two plays, Sea Chains and Son of Tears with John and Nick Salamone as playwrights. And, you know, John works all the time. He's one of the best directors in LA. And so I knew I was in good hands. And what I wanted was if, I wanted something that was political theater, because if not now, then when, and if not the center, then who? Right. So they had car blanche to go as far as they wanted to go. And um, it's intense and beautiful and profound and, and scary and real and all those things that I think theater should do for you. Let's talk about the practical aspects of it. When we were sound checking before we started the official interview, you said we didn't know we would be parking attendants. So there's a part of getting the people in there to where they're in the space, right? What's that like? Well, it's it's hard because, you know, we had press opening weekend, so people had VIP parking spots because they're press, and people were like, oh, I don't like my seat in the theater. I'm going to move to a different seat. But you can't move to another spot because it might look empty to you, but it's reserved for somebody who's reviewing the show, right? And, um, and getting everybody in on time, and no one's done it before. So it's kind of, you know, when you go to a... Um, to a drive-in theater, you go, you drive in, and there's the screen, and you and you're facing it. But this is actually, I thought in the route, it's in a long rec. What would you call it, John? A rectangle? It's a <laughs> well, I, I just call it a, you know a rectangular setting. But it's like it's in, it's basically in the round. But it, you know, we just, it's it's more like a runway kind of uh, setting, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I do I do realize now that I need two people up. I need one person down below checking people in, and two people up top getting everybody into their spots safely and where they go. And, and then our, our a sound engineer goes around to every car and makes sure that their radio is tuned in and they're, you know, they can hear properly with, with the sound because the sound's pretty cool because it's like I, I drive a movie theater, the same principle. It also had a feel of intimacy. How many people are watching the show? How many cars can watch that show? Uh, we, we're selling 16. We have two extras. Yeah. We, we realize we can actually get 18 in and that's the max. Yeah. It's so cool. What are the things that come up when you're doing this that you thought, oh, I didn't think of that? Like, how much do you have to budget for masks? How much? What are the things that come up as you're doing this going, oh, that's not going to work. We're going to have to do this. 
Well, I raised yeah. I raised money to fi finance the show. So because we, we're the senators, you know, we don't have money right now. Things have been really bad canceling the AIDS ride and, and, you know, so many different fundraisers. So I raised the money to do this production. But yes, mass became more money than I thought for sure. Um, costumes became more money than I thought for sure. Um, I hired two stage managers. One is just the um, social distancing police. Her job is to make sure everybody is really social distancing and taking care of costumes because the other person's running the board, right. doing, doing lights. Um, so yeah, it was, there was so many, John, you can, there's so many unexpected yeah. things we didn't expect, you know, it was unseen ter territory. We'd never done this before. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, the, the biggest challenge with the actors is that in a normal, before COVID, you know, we have no masks. So a lot of our facial expression can be, can be expressed through many facets of our face and all of a sudden you are they are masked and they have a shield so they have to work so much with their eyes yeah you know, and the body language to, i noticed and body language yeah. and and so the, the the part of of theater where you can be subtle and just be quietly talking to each other may not work so well in an environment where it's you know it's so big and and audiences doesn't because they can't see who's speaking they can't really tell if unless you're like you know a little bit more animated uh, you know on that conversation otherwise they're like who's talking now because they can't see mouths or anything so it's a big challenge for for us as an as as an acting company to really figure out how to make it um, you know how to make it as as uh, as real as possible without you know within the 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 constraints of the of the mask so but i think we've, we've done a really good job and the actors did a really good job of trying to really express that and and uh, make it uh, you know really uh, for the audience to be able to follow the characters yeah they did a great job of that and you really felt their commitment like they're all in on this experience that was really inspiring um, the other the other learning curve dennis was that people keep asking us for the link to the show and people don't get that it's live theater in a garage. So they keep saying, where's the link? Where's the link? Because we're so conditioned already as human exactly. beings that they can go on the computer. Yeah, exactly. Can I watch this on an iPad or do I need a laptop? No, yeah. you have to come to a place and be in, in, in your car. So far, no car alarms. What do you live in fear of? Which, what's the nightmare scenario? Car alarms? Car alarms is one of them. Um, we had actually... Um, uh, on opening night, we had one car in the first show. His car broke down. So, he's, <laughs> so in comes so AAA. His, that could have been me. That so, so could have been me. And so we couldn't call AAA because it, the AAA might come during the second show. So he had to wait for the second show to be over for us to be able to fix his car and get out of the parking lot. So, I mean, you know, it's like, these are things that we don't worry when, when we are in the theater because they just leave the theater. If their car doesn't work, they're outside. But the car is their seating area so if it doesn't work you know after the show you're you're stuck there for until you know until after the show right Here, here's, here's my job um i i run to the restroom and there's a father in there with a three-year-old little girl and she's not feeling too good and has to go to the bathroom and they're in there for a really long time and i'm like everything okay and he goes yeah and so they come out and i say wait a minute i don't want you going back to your car when the soldiers come in because it's going to scare her she's three years old so like i'm hanging out with the dad and the three-year-old kids saying it's going to be silly it's not really scary it's just silly it's pretend and all that and getting them into their cars when it's the first time anybody's ever left 
their car during a show to get him and this little girl in there so she wouldn't be scared. Um, and they were very sweet about it, but I'm like, I'm like, okay, now we're going to sit here and I'm going to make this kid feel safe before we get him in there because it could be a little scary. Yeah, this is not something you have to deal with if you do Our Town. You know, uh, it's, it's, a different, exactly. it's a different thing. But you were very smart in that if something crazy happened, that's part of that world. Like if a car alarm right. went up, it makes perfect sense that that would happen. So you, right. you were very smart about that. I, I was very inspired by the enterprise of this because I think a lot of people looking at this period of time, first of all, underestimated how long we would be dealing with stuff like this. And so when they see people dive in and say, screw it, let's do something, let's do it. It's like we did on a smaller scale with the Zoom mismatch game. Fuck it, let's do it. Yeah. I think it feel it it I think you're we're gonna look back and be glad that we were engaged in in creating during this time. That we didn't just say, Oh well, let, it's too much trouble, right? Talk to me about what it's meant to you to have something to pour your heart into. Well, for me, I, I feel that, yeah, I feel that this this production really made me realize that if you have the will and uh, and the resources, that you can make anything happen. And I think, you know, actors, artists are resilient people. And I think, you know, we push through. And I think, you know, I uh, at the end of it, I think it's really the willpower of people to just say. I'm not going to just sit around and, and be at home and, and do Zoom Zoom theater, which I have not, you know, I mean, it's not for me, but, you know, I'm I'm all for it for people that find value in that, which is great. But for me, I I really need the connection of audience and art and, and the art. So being, being in that space for me is really about uh, the art I mean, Art, even under this pandemic. I love it. And, and, and for me, Dennis, the center is an amazing place to work. And their goal was when the pandemic happened was no staff should be laid off and no staff should be furloughed. And then because people have food disparity issues, they took our huge pride pantry and made it into a um, our, our, our pride hall into a pride pantry. And we're distributing food to South Central, to Boyle Heights, to Hollywood, West Hollywood, to people who need food. I volunteer there one day a week. And um, and so I'm on a full paycheck and I just can't sit around. It feels really horrible to be on a, on still, you know, getting a paycheck and not doing anything. And I have a lot of relief staff who I love, our stage managers, people who are not yeah, of staff, relief staff. And they, they're dying to work, they need money. And so for me, it, it, my staff wants to work so badly and they're, they're, they're workhorses and they love theater. So it was another a way of saying, oh my God, guys, we're going to dive in and we're going to work. We're going to work like our crazy hours, 16 hour days, like we do when we're doing a play, we're going to work and I'm going to be able to bring several relief people on. I think I've got one, two, three, I've got four, six relief people who are all working. And so getting, having my staff work and, and, and have money and, and, and feeling like they're, they're, they're contributing again to, to the arts, that was, that's golden for me. Like I could cry thinking about that. It makes me so happy. I love that. Tell people how they can come see the show, how they can find out about it, what they need to do. All you have to do is go to the center's website, which is www.lalgbtcenter www.lalgbcenter.org and then you go to, to uh, cultural arts is one of the drop downs and then from there just go to on our stages and the first thing that pop up will be March 
And um, you, we also, we, we, we opened our Liberation Cafe, which is run by our seniors and youth. It's an entire business opportunity for them. And you can also pick three different versions of a box snack meal if you want, when you order your tickets. And then when you come into the parking lot, we hand you your, here's your, here's your snack meal. And people have really been buying them. So it's been really kind of fun. So, you know, it has a little bit of that experience of, you know, get your food, stay in your car. And they're only 45 minutes, the plays are only, it's only 545 minutes. So you're in and you're out. And so many of my friends said they saw it. And then they went to like an outdoor Burger King place and talked to their friends like an hour about it because it, 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 it evokes conversation. So um, it's really kind of an experience that um, I think people will really, really enjoy. And so many of my friends said they were going to see monologues, people yeah. coming out and doing monologues. Right. So they were blown away by the production value of it, and that's a real play with, you know, with with you know all the bells and whistles. Right. Well, I hope everyone goes and sees it. Last question: Talk to me about a favorite moment you've experienced during the process. Something that was just really moving, or funny, or sublime, or like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, um, uh, towards the the third week of rehearsal, when we were trying to. Uh, finesse the, the, the script, uh, one of the actors came up to, to me and Nick Salamone, our dramaturg, and she just poured out her life story and her background and why she was taking drugs and why, you know, what was, what it meant for her to have, to have the drugs and why she had to get out of, of that. And it just came out of a conversation and, and, and she was just so real about it. And so, the following day, we actually had to ask her whether we could use that story because she wasn't, she didn't write it down as part of a prompt. Right. And is it something that we could use in the play? And and she said, well, I told you guys, so I guess you can. So we wrote it into the play, you know, and yeah. it's like, it just comes out of a, of a natural conversation. And it wasn't like, here's a prompt, give me 10 minutes, write it down. I mean, she was just telling me because we were curious about how she got into it and and she really poured herself you know to us and said this is what happened this is how i felt and it's in the play i mean you saw it and she said a lot of that in the play of of what what it what it did to her and and that would not have happened you know if it came out of my mind and just wrote it down i right. mean it was something that was really real and something that was genuine so it it was really something that that will always be special in in the process for me i love that and for me, this is who I am as a person in my DNA. I am a nervous wreck until it happens. Like even when I did hit the wall, or the go to the sound of tears, plays that were wildly successful. I'm back there like this going, will it work? Will it work? Will it work? Because I don't know. I, I, I think it's wonderful, but that's just me, right? I'm in love with the cast and the crew and the director and the writer. I, I love these people. So I don't know until it really happens. And with this experience, I really didn't know. And, right. and it wasn't until those car horns were honking and lights were flashing and I could tell people were genuinely really appreciative and excited about what they just saw that I went, oh my God, it really works. Because it would have been horrible if it didn't work because these people worked so hard. So that moment of people, I could feel the energy bouncing from the cars, people going, wow, you pulled it off. It's amazing. You know, I got all teary eyed because I'm Italian. And um, <laughs> that moment of... We worked so hard. We were in that theater for weeks in that garage, where the best that theater, that garage for weeks, and it worked. That moment was like I could breathe and go, "All right, it's so it's going to be good." I love it. That's so good. Um, how long does it run till November fifteenth? 
8th. November 8th, we have an extension week for November 5th. We're going to hopefully extend one more week. Yeah. Tickets. It's only 16 cars, people. So I have friends saying, I want to go to this show and I can't get in. And it's like, you know, I can't add chairs. You know, there you go. That's it. You got to go while you get it. It's good. Um, I want you to apologize to the cast because I wasn't able to honk my horn because this is a true story. About a year ago, I was driving, trying to get a parking place. There was something on the radio about Trump that was making me so angry. And somebody took this parking space and I just lost my shit. And I started pounding the steering wheel like this about the state of the world and all of it. So cut to later that afternoon, I'm in a meeting in Burbank. I get a call from the police. My horn had been going off for 45 minutes in this residential area. And I had to go and shut it off. So I had my horn disabled because of Trump. And I wasn't able to properly (laughs) applaud for your actors. But my heart was there. So... You guys, thanks so much. Congratulations. And I hope everyone goes and sees the show. And I'm, I was so inspired by, by the way it all came together and that you, that you made it happen. Thank you so much for having Thank us. For having okay. Us. Bye. 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 Thanks to John Lawrence Rivera and John Imperato for the chat. Go check out their show, March. You can learn about it at LALGBTCenter.org. All right. So this happened. The election's coming up. I don't know if you've heard about that. But I have found a fun way to be involved that has really brought some meaning to this crazy time we're living in. There's an organization called PostcardsToVoters.com that I may have mentioned on a previous podcast. I don't know if I talked about it. Basically, it's people all over the country writing handwritten postcards to voters in different states, different campaigns to try to get them to vote, you know, and it's got a homemade touch to it. Um, there's some that you can color like, uh, like a coloring book. Um, somebody called it craft craftivism. Um, but I've been doing this for a couple of months now and I've gotten some friends involved. And what's cool about it is at first when I started doing it, I just wanted the big ticket Senator candidates that I had heard of like Amy McGrath and John Ossoff. But then I started doing smaller campaigns and now I feel like I'm invested in all these races all over the country. So I've written postcards for Quinn Nystrom in Minnesota, John O'Donnell in Ohio, who I think is up for a a judgeship, Um, Eugene DePasquale in Pennsylvania, Um, Sri Preston Kilkani in Texas, Uh, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, who is hopefully going to take out um, Lindsey Graham, Mike Siegel in Texas. Anyway, it's been really fun. Cal Cunningham, North Carolina. It's been a fun way to stay involved, and I think I'm going to try to do some more group postcarding this weekend at T-Pop in North Hollywood outside on the patio in the morning, Saturday and Sunday. So if you're in LA, find me on Facebook. And if you want to come in color and write postcards, they make it really straightforward. And it's a fun way of channeling your election angst. It's a little bit crafty. You don't have to call anyone on the phone. I've been having a lot of fun with it. And now on election night, I'll have all these different races that I helped with, that I'm invested in. And it'll be fun to see how we do, hopefully well. Anyway, that's enough for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone.